Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 89 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. As my regular listeners are well aware, the vast majority of the parents that come on my show are moms. So when I have a dad reach out and want to be on the show, I really appreciate them. I appreciate the unique challenges that bereaved dads face. I think it is more difficult for dads to show that vulnerability. I think dads expect themselves to act tough through all of this and to protect the moms when they themselves are hurting. Lou is also unique compared to many of my other guests because he didn't get to know Joseph in life. Joseph was a stillbirth. So by the time Lou got to meet Joseph, his life had actually already ended. But that doesn't mean that Lou and his wife didn't have amazing hopes and dreams for Joseph. They loved him as much as I loved my Andy. They have turned this amazing love into a charity. This charity is called Walk in Sunshine Charity, and it strives to offer financial help to newly bereaved parents of infants and stillbirths. Be sure to visit my webpage or my Facebook page in order to get linked to the Walk in Sunshine charity Facebook page. On their Facebook page, you can learn more about how they have turned their tragedy into a little bit of a blessing to other parents suffering unimaginable loss. Thank you so much, Lou, for coming on the show today and talking about your son, Joseph. Well, thank you very much for having me. And uh, it's a pleasure. And I really appreciate all the work you're doing to help uh, families like ours. Oh, yeah. And I appreciate the work you're doing because you're doing some tremendous work, too, that we will get into later. But first, I want you to just talk about Joseph and your story and kind of what happened. Yeah, it's always, it's always hard to you have to take. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So grew up on, on Staten Island, New York and moved to Westfield, New Jersey and, and bought this house that my wife Francine and I were so excited to, to buy. And we were going to, you know, do the progressive steps. And next we were going to, you know, become pregnant. And, and we did. And we were so excited. And. And, um, you know, we got to know Joseph through the ultrasounds and, and, and Francine played music for him and we spoke about him and we dreamed about him and what he would be and what he would do and what he would be like. And all those things that I guess first time parents go through and a lot of anxiety and, and ups and downs. And, um, at some point I remember Francine, you know, waking me up in the middle of the night saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling him. I'm not, you know, I don't think he's kicking anymore. And, 
I just said, ah, don't worry about it. It's, it's fine. And, you know, rolled back over. Sleep is more important at that point. But, you know, that mother's instinct has turned out that it's, it's pretty important mm-hmm. now being on the side of this equation that it's often very right and, and, and very keen to the situation. So later that day, she was at the hospital because she's a nurse practitioner and, you know, she had not felt Joseph all day, you know, but was working a busy shift. And the resident came in and gave her an ultrasound and then, you know, gave, you know, was looking for their attending physician. And and then we knew, you know, Francine knew that her suspicions were, were correct. So they called me and I just remember, you know, arguably being the most devastating news to hear that the baby's no longer, mm-hmm. you know, move. How many weeks was she at that point? 30. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in the third trimester. And so you're thinking it's like some sort of bad dream, some sort of, you know, you're waiting for something else to, to come. So I went to the hospital and, you know, both sets of our parents showed up and, you know, tried to put on as tough of a face I could and just said, Hey, we lost the baby. You know, we're going to go back to New Jersey where we originally planned to deliver the baby. She wanted to, you know, kind of go to that setup that we kind of had and she didn't want to have to deliver Joseph in a hospital where she worked at, yeah. you know, didn't want to pension and stuff like that. So went home, went to the hospital in New Jersey and, and, you know, they quadruple checked everything and we started, you know, Francine, you know, they started to induce her mm-hmm. and in the process. This was the most interesting thing. Marcy is the, remember a nurse coming in and giving us some sort of book about loss. And it was like, just seemed ch- silly or, you know, yeah. juvenile. Yeah. I think I threw it or something. <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, but I think the most ex- amazing part is that at some point over those 24 hours waiting for Joseph to be delivered, excitement came through me and I was going to finally see my son and see his face and, and get to know what he really looked like. Mm-hmm. And I would be, you know, proud of, of the fight that he, whatever he was going through in there and, you know, I remember, so if this was in 2017, you know, other friends that were having children were sending like the, the, you know, obligatory text or other dads, you know, yeah, mom, baby on this time, baby weighs this much, look, you know, everyone's doing great. And, you know, selfishly, I didn't want to be robbed of that, you know, so I remember doing that. And I remember not really anybody writing back because obviously you said, you know, Joseph was, you know, taken to heaven or something like that was in that text. And I think that was the first time I saw that there was going to be some sort of, you know, uncomfortableness or stigma around mm-hmm. still that I didn't quite understand. And, you know, of course there's way more details in this, you know, story, but, uh, but the time we spent with Joseph and holding him and um, cuddling him and they dress him up, you know, put a little beanie on his head and put him in an outfit, you know, it was just, arguably some of the happiest moments of my life, which I know may sound counterintuitive to some because he wasn't alive, but he was with us and it was quite special. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How long did you get to spend with him? We chose to spend about 15 minutes. They said we could spend longer Mm -hmm. uh, amount of time if we wanted, but you know, it was also quite difficult too. So now starting in that time around 2017, and now that I've been on this kind of mission since there's something called the cuddle cots and these cuddle cots allow the baby to be preserved in kind of a a colder environment for a day or two. So different families can come visit and this hospital did not have one, Yeah, but we were just, 
very happy that they insisted that we hold Joseph because at first, I'm not sure we wanted to, but that changed over that 24 hours while she was induced and we were very strongly that we wanted to. But at first, you know, there's just so much anger and so much raw emotion going through you. Um, you know, you, you, you know, maybe say something that you don't really mean once you get a second to, you know, process it. Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad you did definitely take that time with him because I think that is precious time. And I've known of a lot of people here recently, you're right, that will even stay with a baby for 24 hours sometimes yeah. mm-hmm, to be able to. And allow visitors to come in and grandparents. And I've heard, you know, ear piercings on, on children I've heard now stories about, you know, there's another great foundation. Now I lay me down to sleep. They send a professional photographer in, like pictures, you know, other siblings come in and those people volunteer their time for those pictures. And I just think that's a a wonderful ministry that those people are, you know, that, you know, they're on, you know, essentially on call because it has to happen in somewhat of a quick fashion and come in and take pictures of families that in this really, really difficult time and, and do that. I think that's amazing. And I know that's important to so many families. Do you have pictures of Joseph? We have uh, a few and we've just kept them between me and Francine at this point on our cell phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny because I've seen that on Twitter and different things. When people post that, some people mm-hmm. get very positive comments and others are really bad. I mean, they're really like, talking about that somehow being morbid and that's just, I mean, that's beautiful to you. That's your child and, and something so precious. And yeah, I just, I mean, I, I never want them to understand fully, right. Cause you don't want anyone mm-hmm. else to have to go through that, but you want them to understand a little bit, like this is all I have. Right. I mean, yeah, those moments and those memories are what you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and like you said, it's still your child. They're still a part of your family. And I think uh, one thing that, you know, a couple months after Joseph passed away, I was sitting with uh, a realtor regarding a real estate transaction I was doing and mentioned trying to get Walk in Sunshine, our charity up and going. And he, I mentioned about losing Joseph. And here he is, 25 years older than me, shares that, oh, the same thing happened to me. So I'm dying to know what he thinks and he feels 25 years later as a dad mm-hmm. with one of a stillborn. And so I asked him the question and he just was like, I kind of choose to be forward thinking and, you know, kind of that's it. And it was just kind of as if it didn't happen. And I can't even think about like the last time he thought about it. Now, of course, there's some generational differences. I'm 39 as we're, you know, recording this in 2021. So I get it. But what frustrates me is you could call yourself whatever skin color, whatever nationality, whatever sex, you want, you know, religion and 99.9% of people accept you these days. But you tell people you have a stillborn and, and they run away and it's not, and it's not okay. Mm-hmm. So why this is a part of our story. It is who it is, who we are. And I want, you know, if someone's looking at the family tree, you know, to be a line for, for Joseph and, you know, January 6, 2017. And, and that's it. You know, he lived, he's a part of us and, 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 and infant loss and stillbirth has been a part of, of, of this country's history based on, you know, who was it? Abraham Lincoln, you know, his mother lost several children and, you know, you had X amount of children knowing that unfortunately some were going to pass because we didn't have the medicines that we, that we, mm-hmm. you know, in the technology we have now. So, so 
it's a part of everyone's story and it just bothers me that that people don't like to accept it. Yeah, and I think if you go back in time, you know, 100 200 years ago, you would have had people be talk about it a little bit more because it was more common. I I recently interviewed a dad who now has a podcast called The Nameless Minority and because he said we are now in the minority bereaved parents and there's no word for us right there's no there's a word there's widow there are orphans but there's no real word for a bereaved parent and although many years ago you would talk to people who had lost four children you know some before birth some as infants I mean most of the time it was in that in that period of time sometimes older kids as well but that's the time when they would have a lot of loss but now you just don't see that as much right I mean Especially like I've, I'm a pediatrician. I took care of 23-week preemies that would have never, ever even dreamt of living before. And now you do, at least for a time. I mean, so that's why it ends up being, I think, even more of a stigma in some ways. Because like for you, I don't know, when I hit 24 weeks, I felt like... I mean, I lost one at 14 weeks. I don't know if you knew that, but I lost a baby at 14 weeks. And that was hard even then because I felt like, okay, I'm in second trimester. I'm going to be okay now. Mm -hmm. Like you take a little Mm -hmm. bit of a breath. But once I got to third trimester past 24 weeks, I was like, okay, we're good. Like you don't, you just, it goes out of your head as like, there's still decent chance that it's not good and you can't take any day for granted and obviously you know in a second I lost my 14 year old son too so you just don't know what's going to happen you know yeah and and I think we we can't predict the future we know that there's this is a society of loss and that there's loss, whether it's the 14 year old, whether it's the 14 week old, you know, 14 gestational weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people going through a lot of. Shit. Yeah. And, 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 and we need to be there for each other and we need to, you know, acknowledge that and losing a child. I think, I don't know, uh, you know, you're the physician, but what did Harvard say? Like it's the most significant loss and the way that it lights up your brain on a, on a scan uh, for the loss of a child is number one, I believe. And number two is, is loss of a, a spouse. And number three is loss of, of a parent. So we know this is some of the most significant grief that people are going through. And I think it needs to be recognized. But I do think, so yes, I think it happens less now potentially mm-hmm. because of the way the world's changed. But I think the key could be social media. And recently, Chrissy Teigen and, yes. and John Legend you know, they lost a baby, I think around 20 weeks. It was on social media. I know, um, uh, I believe it was the captain of the Vancouver Canucks hockey team. You know, this was maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, pre-pandemic, you know, doing the gender reveal party on Instagram, all the fans of the team being a part of this, you know, pregnancy, and then they have a loss. Mm-hmm. That's out, you know, all for the world to see. So, whether you do or don't like gender reveal parties at that point, I think you're claiming it to the world or whatever announcement you're making on your social media. And then when it doesn't work out because people are anticipating these pictures, you then have to maybe, I guess, address it. And I think the more that people see, Hey, it's a little bit more common because for you, sure. you know, it's for sure. social media. I think we have an ability to, you know, bring more awareness. And even I believe it was 2019, the New York times, 
wrote about infant loss and they said it was the most people that wrote in with opinions or pieces, you know, to talk about that infant loss, that they wrote a secondary article, just taking quotes from, from mothers pretty much saying that they're not the same after this loss. And thank you so much for bringing attention to it. So, you know, it's, it's needed and it's, and it's definitely in the fabric here of our country. Yeah. And I do think that it's, you're just expected to put it aside and try again. Right. I mean, you're like, Oh, just forget about you can still have other kids. You can still like, that does not change the fact that Joseph lived and Joseph existed. Yes, you are right. We can have other children, but that does not change my grief today. It does not change what my family makeup will be in the future, you know? Yeah. And it does at that point, you don't care about the future. No? You you, know, you care about right now and, and you're in pain and, you know, you're not really prepared for it and nobody's, you know, explained, you know, what, what getting hit in the, you know, I played college football, kind of like getting hit upside the head feels like until you, <laughs> until it happens. So uh, it, it, it's not a fun experience, but it, it's a part of my story. And, and I had to look at it like, Hey, this is a, this is a part of a chapter and now everything is going to be forever changed. Yep. And to the gentleman's podcast that you mentioned about being in the minority, it's like Marcy, you, myself, that guy, we're all a part of a special fraternity sorority or club that we never wanted to be in Yes, in it now. And I think we have to just embrace it, own it. And, and I always said like, you know, maybe one or 2% of my heart was, you know, ripped off mm-hmm. potentially and it's gone. And, and that's that. And that's who I am now moving forward in this new chapter, because there is, you know, it's such an important, you know, uh, you know, couple things in people's lives, you know, three or four or five life events, you know, mm-hmm. so being a child would have to be definitely one of them and whatever else. I mean, for me, I think about, you know, 9-11 being a native New Yorker, that was significant, but I mean, that might be it in my four, in my 40 years that are that significant of, of, of time. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And I even think about when I lost Andy, I mean, what are one of the things I thought, I thought of Andy going to heaven. And meeting mm-hmm. my mother, his grandmother, and meeting his big brother, who I don't even know if it was a boy or a girl. I don't. But in my mm-hmm. mind, I always thought it was a boy. So that's why, I don't know. I just always have pictured the little one that I lost as a boy. And I think about that, right? And that that he got to meet him before I did. And yeah. because I did love that little guy, right? Eric and I called called him peanut because we would see his you know him on the ultrasound our little peanut and a little heart go and then you know and then just one day it wasn't mm-hmm. that love is you know and holding joseph was the first time that you felt like that that love that was just a different love and it was just as pure as it gets and i think you know you felt it when you saw him in the womb and then you you know mm-hmm. you what it was i mean so your wedding day is is great and prolific for certain reasons but it doesn't even you know pale in comparison to to seeing your child so whether it's 14 weeks or 34 weeks or whatever it is it's still uh, a living child and it's still a part of your family and and there are many women who have lost children that you know it affects them for so many years later uh, but one fascinating story that I've learned in this journey over the last few years is off the Bronx, there's a, an Island called heart Island. And it's where they bury people that they can't find their uh, relatives. Mm -hmm. And so also 
back in the day, I don't know when, you know, maybe it's 1950 to 2000, whatever it is, you know, women that lost babies, you know, they didn't get the opportunity to hold that baby was just taking out of the, of the delivery room. And then that baby was brought to heart Island. Mm -hmm. And the guy that caretakes that Island, I've spoken to him and I've interviewed him on my website and he, or zoomed with him. He said, there's like 85 year old women showing up by themselves, just saying, Hey, I lost a child around this time. Where could, where would they be physically? He's look, you know, they're looking for them. They know they're, they're unmarked graves and they're just mass graves. Unfortunately, that's what it is. Uh, but they're looking to connect with that child again. And that never left them. And that's probably one of the most powerful things that I've ever heard. So yeah, it, it's, it's really, really special. And, yeah. and that bomb, that love is real. It's so sad because many years ago, that was thought to be the better thing to do, right? You just, just take the baby away. Like if they don't see them, somehow you won't love them or something, which is crazy because you've been loving them the whole time. Like the minute that little stick turned pink instead of blue or whatever, right? That you found out you were pregnant, you started loving that baby and you had hopes for that baby and dreams for that baby. And I mean, all the time I, I remember, you know, you just have love from the very, very beginning. So it's just they're so robbed when those were taken away and even those moments of being able to see them for even a little bit of time it's just sad it's just really really sad yeah and that perinatal loss the way i like to describe it it's like a roller coaster so it's different from other losses so if you lose uh, a child from pediatric cancer you know you know you're not in a, in a great optimal situation. If you lose a child in a car accident, you're maybe living your life and, you know, whatever stable your normal is, right? And, you know, this crazy unexpected accident happened. As the loss, perinatal loss, you're building up excitement. Yeah. So you're at the top of the roller coaster. So the crash is not harder than those other losses, but it's different because you're coming from a place of excitement rather than, you know, your mundane life and and, and an accident happened or, um you or know, months a, and months of suffering and illness. Yeah. 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 Addic- you know, other like loss that's featured on Walk in Sunshine would be addiction or suicide. And I know suicide often happens by surprise to many, but addiction, you know, most likely people are aware that this person's struggling and, and you know, mm-hmm. is experimenting with drugs. So, yeah. So the, the perinatal loss, I think, is different because of the way you kind of get dropped off the, the cliff because you just it's just not supposed to happen. No, it's just not supposed to happen like no. that. No. Why don't you talk now about your organization and how that kind of came to be? Yeah. So I guess in that 24 hours, while my heart was being changed in the, um, in the hospital waiting for Joseph to come, um, I was trying to get control. So right. I was trying to take the stereotypical male position of, wow, I've got a show here. Sorry for the cursing, but you know, I'm from New York, right? I have to be authentic <laughs> that we, we have to get control of, I have to get control of the situation. And how do I bury Joseph? How do I get a, uh, an autopsy, a proper autopsy? I don't want the, the person doing the autopsy that does, you know, grandma or me or you, I want a perinatal pathologist. Mm-hmm. Do we have one here in New Jersey? You know, where, how do I get Joseph there? Cause you, know, you want to know what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Do I, you know, I joke around, what do you do? You call an Uber, you know, you you call a lift. No, like this has to be coordinated. And so here I was at this hospital asking questions. And unfortunately, everybody was really nice, but they didn't have the answers to those questions. And that bothered me. And so we had to get through the first couple of weeks of the loss of Joseph, first couple of months. And 
then at the cemetery, I started speaking to the, the director and I saw a lot of the headstones in the infant section, which was typically kids zero to three. Mm-hmm. There was maybe only 50% had headstones. So I asked him why. And he said, well, a lot of parents are living paycheck to paycheck and they're ready to pay for milk or they're ready to pay for diapers, you know, but they're not ready to pay for a whole funeral and a plot and a headstone and all that stuff. So that bothered, that bothered me significantly. So I just let it kind of fester in me. And then there was this uh, homily at, at a mass and this priest mentioned that all of a sudden in the last six months, he's buried, you know, I think it was like five or six, you know, children under the age of 18 in this one parish. And I was like, Whoa, what's going on? And one of them was a car accident. One of them was a diving accident. One of them, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, And I was like, wow, there are a lot of other people in pain around me. And I don't know anybody because I'm new to New Jersey. I'm from New York. And, and, and I just thought about that. And I thought about how people didn't like to speak about stillborns already. I realized that, right. Because people like, Hey, do you have kids? And you say, yeah, I have one. And he's, you know, he's not living. He passed away. You know, that's always just, you know, the deal breaker. And everybody. I know, I know. Terrible. But so I'm like, all right. So I'm like, if I can pr- get a foundation up and going that could provide resources to help pay for the final arrangements, no parent should have to visit a plot without a proper headstone or not have the appropriate funeral services that they want. That would be amazing because I had a background in sales and I was pretty confident I could raise some money. Uh, but I also wanted resources because all this time, my wife, Francine and I, you know, we're Googling stuff at one in the morning, we're up and we can't find the resource we're looking for. And now I know about all these resources, but if I could put them into one place and, and Francine did a great job of helping me compile a lot of these resources. And so we decided to pick um, the domain name, walkinsunshinecharity.org. And uh, we have our story on there. And then we have everything from books to blogs to podcasts we're adding now apps we're adding to to other resources so we're trying to prop up podcasts like this we're trying to prop up national foundations uh so that people could get the information they're seeking and and you know Right now, Walking Sunshine doesn't have any plans for a 5K. But if you wanted to run a 5K and get a T-shirt in memory of something, I want to be the conduit to help get you there. So, so that's what we're doing is we're giving $1,000 to families who've lost a child from 20 weeks gestation till 18 mm-hmm. in Union County, New Jersey. Pretty much no questions asked. Just have to fill out a, a quick form. Uh, we had one a week and a half ago. It was a 39-week uh, gestational gestationally aged baby uh, a couple towns away. And then, and then the website is, is, is there 24 seven for anybody around the world to, to try to find whatever they may be searching for. And, and um, I think it's a beautiful thing. And we were chatting before, you know, to find someone from India, to find someone from England logged on in the last week. uh, It's quite special. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a beautiful thing. We were talking about that. And that's how you reached out to me, actually, originally, because you just reached out and emailed and said, we have this organization and and we're putting your podcast on it as a resource. And and then it, of course, got me interested and in looking on. And then here we go. Now you're here with yes. me today. So that's a beautiful beautiful organization, I think, that you have and to be able to do some of these things to help people. I'm sure it's been powerful for you. How do you feel about it? I mean, how, how's that helping in your healing process? Yeah, it definitely does help. 
you're going through your own therapy with responding to people's emails that come in and, and you don't always know when those emails are coming in or when you're getting frustrated with life because life has gone on now. Right. And, and then you get a, an email into the website kind of looking for a resource or looking for some financial aid because of, of what happened to them and their family. Um, it, it reminds you, it humbles you. Uh, it gives you an opportunity to be there for someone to show up, to tell them that they're not alone to, you know, I think the, anybody that loses anybody, but never mind a, a, a child, just to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for your loss. That should be, I think, you know, one of the number one things that, that comes out of someone's mouth when people say, oh, well, I don't know what to say. You know, it's just so hard, so different. Just how about I'm sorry? You know, I think that that could work well. Yeah. One of my favorite things is when people say, I have no words for you. I always think that that really kind of sums it up because they also are saying in that, I'm not trying to make you better. I'm not trying to fix you. This is horrible. This sucks. And I don't, you know what I mean? It's just really acknowledging that they know it's horrible, but they also know that they can't really help it and they can't really make it better. And I, I find that actually more comforting than when people really try to help. I'm putting help in quotation marks because they really can't help too much, really. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, you know, something I've learned is that grief is definitely not linear and it's all over the place and it's chaotic and there's forwards and backwards steps. And so somebody to have the emotional intelligence, like you said, Marcy, to just say, Hey, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how to make this better. I think that's, you know, quite, you know, quite smart on, on their end. What I, you know, I have two living sons now, Nicholas is three and Thomas is seven months. I wanted them to see that their parents are, are working every day and every week and every year to do something to better this world. And that when we leave this world, maybe we help somebody or we left it in a slightly better place. So I think it's perfectly fine and appropriate to donate money or your time in memory of something. But for me, I, I, I felt the challenge was bigger mm-hmm. and I want, I don't want to talk about it. I want to be of action and, you know, this way my children will grow up and know that this is a part of our family and a part of our story. And, you know, we're writing articles on our hyper-local newspaper that's online and just about grief and, you know, mentioning things like always Andy's podcast. I think that was our last article Article was here's five podcasts that may help you with your grief mm-hmm. and, you know, put it up and, and, you know, kind of basic stuff, but, you know, we get pretty good feedback on it. And, and my children are going to see that, you know, no matter how much money they make, no matter what they do, uh, or how smart they may or may not, you know, be, uh, that kind of giving back always needs to be a part of the mission. And, and I think this is a good way to show them and, and to honor their brother too, right. you know, and know that he existed. Yeah. That's what my next kind of question was going to be, because I have had several people reach out recently, actually, who are having another baby after the loss of, of one and, and whether that loss was uh, a stillbirth or afterwards, but how you kind of do that and how you keep Joseph alive for the younger ones who never knew him. It's actually kind of cool because I've gotten a couple of emails on that. And then now I've interviewed a couple of people who had that very circumstance happen. So I feel like things get arranged in certain ways. So could you help out with that? And how do you do that for your boys? I know the one's only seven months old, but. Yeah, yeah. The three-year-old, it's, you know, uh, crazy 
difficult because, you know, I think once he started to realize that we were going to the cemetery, he would ask to go to the cemetery because it was just a big open space. And I think he would like to run around. But now, you know, for the last six months, he knows when I pull up the car, he can run right to Joseph's headstone and he knows that's where we go. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, it's amazing. And, and then, you know, we let Nicholas, the three-year-old, let balloons go on, on Joseph's birthday. Mm-hmm. And that was just a crazy real tearjerker, you know, um, because I don't, you know, he doesn't understand what the whole reason we're there for. I think we may have shared that, you know, there's someone in heaven we're visiting or something like that. But I think from what I hear from other dads and other moms to kind of answer it and go into different depth as the child, you know, ages. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Just give them little blips. And then sooner or later, you know, they'll come and they'll ask questions, you know, maybe they'll ask a couple of questions at eight and then maybe at 13, they'll come back and ask more questions. But if we're just open and honest and say kind of what it is, given appropriate answers at that level, I think, I think it'll be good just to show the, the openness to it. And I think so. how you value him still, and it's so important too. So another thought that I had was when you talked about that day and how you felt this need to be kind of a tough guy and to say this is what's happening and to kind of keep it together. Can you go into that a little bit? Because I think that's very unique to dads and this feeling of I need to be tough. I need to be strong. Like the mom can totally fall apart and cry, but I don't know. It's a lot. It's different for a dad. And I think different pressures for a dad. Sure. Yeah. Cause you're kind of the spokesperson for the family, right? Nobody wants to bother mom laying in bed, you know, still with Joseph inside of her and, you know, feeling all, all the hormones going through and getting ready to deliver and all that stress. So you're kind of a spokesperson, you know, you're going to have to be a coach because Francine had a, you know, push and vaginally delivered Joseph. So you're getting your coaching hat, you know, ready because you still got to go through that. And, and even though it doesn't make sense, you're like, you know, wait, what, you know, we, I have to coach her to push Joseph out. Who's dead. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Like who would have ever thought this, but this is what I got to do. Deep breath. I don't, you know, go to the vending machine, get a soda, right? Not really yeah. eating regroup in the hallway for five or 10 minutes and, and, and whatnot. So I think you just remember people telling you, you know, be there for Francine, be there for Francine, mm-hmm. be there. So that's what you're trying to do while trying to get some of those other logistical questions answered. Like, you know, I have no clue how much a funeral costs. Like, like, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough that we had resources, but I'm like, uh, do I have to move something to this bank account? Are they going to want this money tomorrow? Like, <laughs> how does all that work? And I'm sitting there worried about it. So yeah, got through the day and, and, and did my part to try to comfort her and, and, and be a good partner. And cause I just figured no matter what I'm going through and how intense it is, it's like infinity times more intense for her. And I know like I'm overwhelmed. So, and then I, I guess hearing from other people later on that often once the mother kind of begins to move on, maybe at that point, maybe it's when the dad kind of lets this tough guy persona down. And then often the dad breaks down six months or so later, because the whole time they were, you know, just trying to be the support, you know, the supporting partner and they didn't get a really, you know, time to, to grieve themselves Mm -hmm. because of this, you know, all the stuff you were doing to support the, the mom. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I'm imagining what 
things would have been like for you to say, go back to work and things like that, and how the question must have been so much, how's Francine? How's Francine? Yeah. Yeah. And when, when do you go back to work? What do you say? Right. The first time you see somebody in the hallway, I say, Hey, what are you doing? How you been? You know, what's going on? And it's like, do you say it? <laughs> you know, do you not say, mm-hmm. um, you know, and even like whatever it is, weeks and weeks later, people ask, Oh, how's your wife doing? Did you guys have the baby? You know, and you're like, no, you know, or however you chose to answer it. Like, how did you choose to answer that? Depended on the day and the person yeah. sometimes, you know, and then the relationship, but yeah, it, it was just like a constant reminder. And, you know, just if you were in the hallway, oh, that's okay. Yeah, we're fine. Yeah, we'll move on. Yeah, it's yeah. just because you're also trying to give that other person an, an escape because they're not expecting the answer you're giving them. They're just trying to be polite and then maybe not ready for that. Right. It's if they really no. wanted to know where they didn't really want to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I think also that, you know, now even how many children do you have? Mm-hmm. You know, three and you know one passed away and two are living and did you just say two it's hard that's a really hard. hard question and people don't realize it's a loaded question no you know they think it seems so innocent but it's really not innocent at all and no and it's funny for me because i <laughs> i sometimes sort of cheat a little bit in that because i i used to say when they asked how many kids do you have i would say four three biological and one foster son because I do have my foster son too, who's been with us for a while now. But, and then sometimes I would just say three because he's, you know, technically he's 22 years old. He's not really my foster son anymore. I, I tell him he's, he'll always be my son. But in some ways I can almost cheat and say three. And in my head and my heart, I know that number three is Andy. And then if, if I don't really want to tell them, then they might assume that I'm counting my foster son. You know what I mean? So, uh, okay. It's hard because now it's really complicated question because now I would say four, three biological, one who has died, and a fourth one who's my foster son. That just gets far too complicated. No one wants to hear all of that business. So it's, it is an, an odd situation to be in. But I never want to not mention him because it just doesn't feel right. It just doesn't feel like, I mean, it's just not being honest, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a catch 22. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's about being true to yourself. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I hope always when I answer the question that there won't be the follow up, how old are they? Because sometimes I just like, I'll be like four. And then, you know, and usually when you say four too, then people go like, "Woo, that's a lot, you know, because that's a big family. It seems like if you cross from three to four, then suddenly you've reached crazy town that you've had so many yeah. children. So then you got follow up questions. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. What must happen when people say like six or seven or something, they must really get crazy. Yeah. Looks, but so uh, another question I have is how, what like has surprised you? about, you know, like someone that has been extremely helpful or just kind of surprised you and um, made you feel good about maybe other people? I think, I think seeing this community of other parents like, like ourselves and how many are out there and how many have reached out. So even with, you know, Thomas being the baby seven months old, Francine, you know, was pregnant with him pretty much throughout the whole pandemic. And so obviously her anxiety is through the roof. Mm -hmm. And to begin with, 
to be pregnant again, you know, it's almost like you're waiting for the shoe to fall on a given day because it's just been your experience. Yes. Then never mind, you had a pandemic. It was the beginning of the pandemic. People didn't know what it was, what it did, wasn't. I wasn't able to be in the, the doctor's appointments, right? So I feel selfishly, I was robbed of seeing the baby on the ultrasound and that whole experience. Mm-hmm. In this community that I've made of, of friends of other people that I've, you know, referred parents that have written in and to their support groups and whatnot, the way that they checked in on us during Thomas's Francine's pregnancy, pregnancy with Thomas during the pandemic was, was really special. And I didn't, you know, get into this, like, let me start a 501c3 charity to, to make friends mm-hmm. or to get involved in a community. Uh, but the way those people showed up for us during that time, because you felt like they were the closest person to understanding you, you know, you know, so um, mm-hmm. the way they approached you or the way they said it, or just because, you know, it's from that person, it arguably meant something pretty special. And then I thought that was really helpful at the time because it was very, it was scary. It was scary at times. We didn't, I, we didn't know what the heck was going on. On certain days. Was she still working in healthcare too? She was, um, when the pandemic went live in March, mm-hmm. we had Thomas in September 25th of 2020. Uh, she stopped going in. Uh-huh. So yeah, she was up until like, I guess, February ish, you know, February, beginning of March. And then, and then she stopped working. Yeah. And so work would have, you know, it obviously was safe. It would have been great, but staying home, she almost had too much time on our hands. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, that would be a difficult balance. That's why I was just wondering what she chose to do because it, yeah, I mean, it's home. not fun, especially at the beginning when you just really didn't know what was happening. I mean, that was, that was the hardest thing. Right. I mean, we we're like, should we do checkup? Should we do routine stuff? I don't really know. And what's safe and what's not safe. And are we going to be able to get enough PPE? That was a big issue for our mm-hmm. clinic and for lots of clinics, I think, around the country is just being able to get supplies to protect yourself, protect your staff, not sure what was happening. So when you add a pregnancy on top of that, you know, wow, that was just even more challenging and difficult because you just didn't know what would happen. So Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then when Thomas was born in New Jersey at a hospital uh, in September of 2020, there was no visitors. Right. And there was no balloons and there was no celebration. And, and um, it was very, um, you know, desolate. And it was just really eerie, eerie feeling and uh, was glad to kind of get out of there and get him home when we were able to, because it just was not the most fun of, of pregnancies and, um, just wanted to, you know, to be with him and have him in a, in a safe place. So, um, yeah. and then even after Thomas was born, the way, you know, people continued to, you know, check in on us. And that, that was really, really nice and, and very, very grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know I've been, I still round at the hospital on newborn babies. So that has been just a different experience to not ever have anyone else in the room other than dad. It's just mom and dad. I mean, I'm used to grandparents being in there and aunts and uncles and siblings and things like that. And they don't have that. I I think of one particular one where I went in. It's so funny now after I've lost Andy, how I look at things differently, right? I look at that and I had a family and this was their fifth pregnancy and their first live birth. So they had lost four. And I just went in with such a different 
in such a different way than I would have, you know, I think just because this was a beautiful thing for them, but there, there's a lot of baggage that that couple had, right, from losing four prior to that. So I think to go in and to talk with them in a different way with a little more compassion instead of just walking in with that, oh, you know, congratulations. Because they needed more than just congratulations. They needed like, wow, congratulations. This was a long time coming. You know, Mm -hmm. this was, I mean, because there is going to be so much a bigger sense of relief. I mean, they're excited, certainly. But there's also, I would say the number one emotion in that room was relief that they actually Mm -hmm. have a living baby this time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure a lot of mixed emotions too. I'm sure there was some sadness and absolutely a hundred percent. And I don't know that my partners would have thought that same way. And I don't think I would have thought that same way three years ago had I walked into that room. Mm-hmm. I would have been more yeah. of just thinking about how excited they were and not thinking there's more than just excitement going on here. There's a lot of who relief that we have the baby. And then now though, still a little bit of fear, right? Because that, that whole, I just think you lose this innocence when you lose a child, you know, you think mm-hmm. the world's a good place and that everybody's going to be okay. And that your kids are all going to be okay. But when it isn't, you just lose that innocence and you realize that, wow, anything could go wrong and they could just be gone. And you know, and I think when that, that baby was finally living, that's like the tectonic plate shifting for them. That is such, they can't even fathom that, like, you know, because of how much loss they had been through. So they were probably, you know, in, in their heads in some sort of other place, you know, like it probably was going to take a while to, to process. So um, when, as you said, maybe one of your partners would have just been, you know, trying to show congratulate, you know, mm-hmm. be congratulatory to them. Uh, yeah, there was way more to that picture. Well, and when I, I only saw that family one time because we were changing over to, a, to you know, we just do a week at a time. So we we're going to a new person. And I went in the office and I said, so this family's there. They have a baby. I just want you to know they've lost the last four. So just, mm-hmm. you know, just go in just a little differently. Don't, you know, it's just not all... You know, ha- happiness and rainbows and sunshine, right? There is yeah. there is more to it in that room going on that you might not think about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think something else that was interesting was when Thomas, uh, we were getting ready to deliver him at the hospital. I walked by one of the rooms. And Francine was in the holding area. And I saw for the first time the teardrop on the door. And that means there was a loss because, mm-hmm. right, usually it's uh, something blue or pink where we were, you know, yeah. a boy or on that room. And and this was the teardrop. And I never liked that teardrop because when I was on our door, I was like, why do I get a teardrop? You know, at the point with Joseph, you know, there were still grandparents coming down the hallway with balloons and flowers. And so here we are we're on a regular floor. Yeah. Everybody's celebrating. We got a teardrop, meaning, oh, like that's that family. Yeah. You know? Stay away. And yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that was. So here I was, I, I ran to the men's room. I came down the hallway and, you know, just saw the teardrop on the door and I just stopped. And I was like, oh my God. And yeah. here we were like knowing that, you know, Thomas was a C-section that, you know, I was an hour away from hopefully something great, you know, amazing. And, and that's, that's so real right there. 
so I mentioned something to one of the nurses and um, that family reached out and we ended up paying for uh, some of their funeral arrangements as well. So it was kind of some sort of weird, you know, divine intervention. And they were like leaving that day, it, you know, so they were getting ready to get discharged. This was in the morning. Oh, so wow, that's beautiful. Circumstance. And I got to, you know, chat with the dad and do a dad to dad, you know, chat for a little bit. And I somehow managed that on, on the day of Thomas being born, but it, it was, it was important for me to, to do that. Well, and what a comfort that would have been for that dad too. So mm-hmm. it's funny how you went from hating that teardrop to so appreciating it when you were able to actually do something about it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And you wonder too, how many people may have seen your teardrop in the hallway and given your family an extra prayer or thought just a little bit. I mean, you don't know what kind of impact Mm -hmm. it may have had on someone. Mm -hmm. Just like now with your website, you know, you have people from all over the world reaching out and you, and you said earlier, like, I have no idea what their stories are. I have no idea this person in India, what they were thinking and what they've been through, but it could be offering so much comfort and support to them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I said, you know, walk in sunshine. If you're on that website, it's not ESPN or it's not TMZ, you know, you're not just, you know, killing time for 10 minutes waiting for uh, an appointment or whatever. You're on there for a special reason. And, and um, you know, it's not like reading or the resources are not always the most pleasurable, um, you know, stories. So, so yeah, so people are there because they want to be there and they need to be there and they're seeking that out. And, uh, it's, it's really cool to know that in this little town in New Jersey that you're, you're touching people all over the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's funny you say that I had uh, somebody, uh, messaging me over Facebook yesterday and she said, yeah, my son says that I'm cool now cause I'm listening to a podcast. And I was like, <laughs> like, I don't know that I would exactly call the always ending's mom podcast, a cool podcast. Like maybe don't have your teenage son listen to it because he will probably no longer think you're cool but um (laughs) but i'm glad i'm glad i mean and and she really was getting a lot out of it but it was just a funny thing to have that as their you know little joke (laughs) yeah and hey i mean a win's a win she's on podcast (laughs) on the podcast i know maybe she will get on some some cool ones pretty soon i'm this is not gonna be the cool one but that's okay that's okay In due time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what I just love is just knowing that we, you and I and other people can be helping others. And for me, this is something that I get to do with Andy. And for you, wow, it's something that you get to do with Joseph and to keep his memory alive, to be able to kind of reach out and help people in the way that you do. So do you know how many people you've been able to help so far? So I think we... In late 2018 is when we went public with the charity. So about a year and a half later. And, you know, uh, the college I went to, I got them to do an article. The local newspaper did an article. Uh, I would say probably in the two and a half years or whatever it's been now, two full years, probably 2,500 unique visitors to the website. Wow. Uh, Countless emails. Um, some don't want a response. It seems like some people are just sharing, mm-hmm. you know, so I do try to acknowledge it or that, you know, others looking for, you know, resources, uh, you know, introduced a woman who lost a two-year-old to another 
mother who experienced loss that she wanted to go to, you know, to coffee with at a coffee shop in Brooklyn, you know, just through the network and the resources and, and have done that in other places. And, you know, I've taken calls of a loss, a car accident in Louisiana and tried to get them set up with people. So I know because the walk in sunshine mission statement says union County, New Jersey, just cause I didn't want to run out of money. Yeah. I didn't want to have from all over. I know we've probably, I'd have to look at it. It's probably around 11 or 12, mm-hmm. you know, uh, funerals that we've helped pay for. And then if people reach out and it's outside of that, Francine and I try to give or offset it personally, as well as let them know some of the bigger national organizations that I know maybe have some funds mm-hmm. to kind of get the cost covered. So, uh, we've, we've, we've spoken to, we've touched, we've, you know, set up coffee meetings and, or, or group, got a lot of people to different groups, you know, cause we don't, you know, we're not groups. We're just the, the conduit to get you to where you want to be. So mm-hmm. there's some count, some great groups here in, in New Jersey, New York, you know, which is kind of where the, you know, kind of started. Yeah. And I love being able to bring people together. Cause I have that happen a lot too, that someone will listen to something and it, and it really touches them and it feels really close to home to them. And then they'll ask me, if I can be in contact with them. And almost all the time, the guests that I've had on will be like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Give me other contact information. Sure. I will I will be in touch. So that's a reminder to all the listeners. If you feel like there is something that especially touches you, if you want to reach out to me, great. If you want to reach out to me and ask to reach out to someone else, I am happy to kind of arrange those things. Obviously, we don't put everybody's email on there publicly, um, but you know, you can always contact me at andysmom.com, marcy at andysmom.com and email me and I can get you to the places you need to go. So why don't you, yeah, I was just going to say, why don't you give out your website information and and ways that people can contact you? Mm -hmm. Sure. Walkinsunshinecharity.org, all one word, um, W-A-L-K-I-N-S-U-N-S-H-I-N-E, charity, C-H-A-R-I-T-Y.org. Um, and also you can email walk in sunshine charity at gmail.com. And then I'll go to myself and Francine and, uh, happy to try to point people in the right direction or exchange a couple of emails. Um, and we also have a Facebook page, uh, backslash walk in sunshine. And then an Instagram page. I think, you know, Francine's done a great job with that. I think we have 10,000 or 11,000 followers there. Um, wow. That, that's cool. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's walk, um, underscore in underscore, sunshine i believe is 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 the instagram but all those links are on our our website and um you know happy to help any way we can and and you know people like marcy and myself we're, we're here for for whatever and we're here to support and and, it, and it's become a kind of a life mission so this is this is great to continue to expand the networks and and cross pollinate here oh absolutely well thank you so much Lou thanks for sharing Joseph and walk in sunshine charity thank you so much for having me Marcy thanks for listening to losing a child always Andy's mom please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.